Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the audience know what we've got in store for them today? Hey, Adam, today we're going to continue to listen into an interview we did with our senior pastor, Todd Wagner, and uh, Dallas campus pastor, uh, Jonathan, or JP as we call him, uh, Pakluda. And um, so we been discussing some ideas um, on how to kind of lead your staff well. Some of the things we've covered already is creating unique shared experiences, uh, expecting the staff to be the example of full devotion, uh, giving timely, helpful, and candid feedback, laughing a lot, and trying to take away as many of the financial burdens as you can uh, from your staff. So you can hear uh, all those episodes back on iTunes, and we're going to uh, today listen to two more ideas that these guys have uh, about kind of leading the staff, and then we'll come back with some closing comments. All right, well, the next one that we're going to talk about, next idea to help you lead your staff, is to deal with sin in the ranks. JP, how do you see that play out? Oh, man, some of my most memorable days at Watermark are uh, watching Todd deal with a conflict or some type of moral failure that's happened, and I, I don't mean to paint a picture like that was all of the time, but I can remember the days where there would be this kind of emergency third floor meeting. It would happen as soon as he heard about it. We'd gather as a staff and as a family, and we'd talk through whatever was going on and just put a bright light on it, not to shame anybody. Uh, I think that can be the lie that the enemy whispers. Uh, we don't shoot our wounded here, but just to say, hey, how can we grow? What can we learn? And what now needs to happen because of of what has happened. And so what, do you remember those days? Yeah, well, I, I mean, one of the things I think was a Henry Kissinger quote that probably he advised Nixon with that I heard a long time ago, and I think I agree with him, is uh, the statement that anything that's going to be revealed eventually ought to be revealed immediately. Mm. And just because it builds trust with people, it, it's never the crime, it's always the cover-up that causes distrust. People know we're broken. People know that we make mistakes. So you know, those moments that you're hearing about, we would always make sure that the person, too, that we're sharing what they did, that we're sharing it responsibly. It's not just a, a titillating bit of in, you know, information that somebody failed, but it's part of the team, part of the family. And so, um, you know, I'm always just saying to somebody, hey, you know, help me figure out how you want to communicate this. And certainly when it's part of the staff team, um, when we were talking about what was going to go on, if there's, if there's a shift in uh, responsibility or um, leadership coverage. We don't want to give um, false reasons for that. We don't want to tell people, well, he just is a little bit too overwhelmed when, when the truth is he wasn't overwhelmed with busyness. He was overwhelmed with sin. And folks find that out about later. That just erodes trust. So what we would always do is try and share with people that were working with us, hey, this is why right now. This is the season we're in. This is the plan. This is the strategy. This is how we got here. This is how we're going to love each other. We're not shooting our wounded here, but but listen, you're part of the family, and you need to know why you're going to have to maybe do some things you weren't doing because somebody else is wounded. Somebody else is in a place where they need to reallocate their time and attention. So I do believe that anything that's going to be revealed eventually ought to be revealed as soon as possible. It just builds trust. People understand that you're human. Yeah. Okay. I think the problem we get in as leaders is sometimes we want to act like we're not human. Right. That we're not tempted. That we don't have problems. And and so when there are problems, we got to hide them. And all that does is make people insecure. Yeah. There's a church out there listening right now where if a guy came to them and said, "Hey, pastor, uh, I want you to know I've been looking at pornography for the past two months," uh, that pastor's going to look at him and say, "Well, you know, one, why are you why are you telling me?" And hey, stop it. And man, don't let's not talk about that anymore. Don't you don't need to tell anybody. Just hey, keep that to yourself. What would you say to them? Well, I mean, I, I think 
what I would say to that the, to the pastor or to the guy who's telling me that either one either one Both. <laughs> um, you know here, here's one of the things I guess JP that's just true of me I, I am not somebody that is shocked that humans are tempted um, I yesterday was my birthday and I spent a lot of my time in my birthday thanking the Lord that grace prevailed in my life for another year um, I think sometimes we we give up the impression to others that temptation itself is the sin. When, in fact, what the scripture says is that, no, it's when we are enticed by our lust and we let it carry us away. And and honestly, I think sometimes we're enticed by the idea of the lust of being perceived as guys that never fail, okay? And in a sense, when you sin, when you give away, when you're enticed by your lust, let's just say pornography, okay? That's one thing. But the problem, the bigger problem, I mean, if this is even possible, then, uh, you know, shooting that that you know, mainlining that that visual and that idea into your blood system is then the idea that you can deal with it on your own and that you got to keep up the perception that you're not a person who can ever be tempted or enticed by temptation. I think that's what ruins guys' lives. Nobody thinks that you'll never have a lustful thought again if you're a pastor. Nobody ever thinks you won't take that second look, third look, or, you know, um, you know there are times when people follow me on Twitter, as an example, that their their little icon is pornography, and I see it, and and um, and you know I want to chase it and look at it and just even look at their little um, bio or whatever it's called when when it writes there and as an ex- excuse that can get you in trouble. I think the bigger problem is that I wouldn't tell somebody that that's a fact, right? Okay, and so I would just help people realize that you know. We're always more concerned. I think everybody looks at this like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do that doesn't cause the ministry to be discredited? So if this guy that's on our staff or this person in my life, if they have fallen, then that's going to cause the ministry to be discredited. No, what discredits the ministry is when Christ isn't exalted. And when sin's not dealt with, Christ isn't going to be exalted. And also, I would just tell people that, man, your job is not to stay in ministry. Your job is to walk with Jesus and be healthy. And anytime you get in an environment where somebody's more concerned about keeping their job than being the man who, by God's grace, is allowed to do the job, it, it's just a matter of time before um, you're not going to be dealing with sin in the ranks. Your ministry is going to be defined by the fact that sin is welcomed, harbored, and hidden. That That's just a recipe for a lack of blessing. So I would just say, as painful as it's going to be, as imperfect as even as you're dealing with it's going to be, Deal with it. Deal with it biblically. Remember what the scripture says: He who confesses and forsakes his sin will find compassion. So, if you, you know, very first thing I would do, I think we might even deal with this in a little bit later, is if you don't have an environment where people can say, "A, I'm being tempted." You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is we tell each other, "This is my Achilles heel. It, this is the thing that's likely to break down and cause me trouble." If we don't even know what that is in each other's life, that's a problem. And secondly, if you got to act like you're not hurt when you're hurt, yeah. you're not going to play very well anyway. And so I, I just think you've got to always cultivate that environment. And number two, you've got to acknowledge that it's almost more difficult to talk about the temptation of confessing sin than it is to avoid, quote unquote, sin itself. That's great. I love it. So Todd, I, I've heard you over the years talk about the difference between confession and getting caught. Yeah. Sometimes. So, just talk about that for a little bit. How does that How does that play out in the way that we deal with this uh, here on staff? Yeah, it matters a lot. You know, I mean, again, it's not the crime; it's the cover up. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, if the scriptures are clear about anything, 
is that your sin is eventually going to find you out. That doesn't mean that somebody's going to actually find out maybe on your web browser and go back and look at it. It's just going to represent. It's going to show up in your life in some other way. And frankly, you know, this is Hebrews 3.13 says, you know, encourage each other day after day as long as it's called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Part of that, the deceitfulness of sin is not that it's going to be, that it presents itself as life-giving when in fact it's not. Part of the deceitfulness of sin is that I'm going to be able to handle it. I'm going to be able to control it. This one's not going to get away from me. And and so you got to ask yourself on this question, you know, that the topic we're talking about here is how you deal with sin in the ranks. Are people able to come to you and just say, hey, this is the thing that has been brought into my life, okay, that I need your help to kill. And what will happen is that if you don't deal with sin in the ranks when it's being birthed, you're going to deal with sin in the ranks when it matures. And when it matures, it's when it's going to be, uh, well, it's going to be like it says at the end of Proverbs chapter 1, where it says your want will come on you like a, a robber, okay? And uh, he's not going to ask when to show up. He's going to show up and he's going to take you by force. So I, I think dealing with sin in the ranks, don't think about how it's happened just when it's gotten to the level of real trouble, you got to ask yourself, hey, how do I deal with it when it's just at first maybe showing up? You know, we always talk about why do Christians shoot their wounded? Okay, Christians don't shoot their wounded. What they do often is they got to bury their dead, right? Because the guy's sin, okay, is it's, it's made him dead to leadership opportunities, okay, because they didn't deal with themselves when they were wounded, Okay, you're dealing with the dead a lot of times. So I would ask, maybe that's one of the things you could just say is is just tell folks, hey man, where are you being wounded right now? Where's sin nipping at you? And I would just tell you, as you give people an opportunity to talk about that, just know this: most people are testing you when they start to confess. And by testing you, what I mean is they're saying, is this okay that I just told you that? Are you going to shame me and fire me because I just told you that? Or are you going to help me? And and so I would learn to dig. I would learn to be patient. I would learn to um, assume that that people are scared. and um, But man, you want to be that, that person that reminds them continually that getting clean with Christ and being free is so much more important than keeping your job. So JP, you opened with, you know, what about the church where you ignore it? And, you know, Todd, you also talked about the church where you just shoot them, boom. And and I think what you're talking about here is if what, what you've tried to create is this um, third option here huh. in the middle is why don't we deal with it in the light all along the way mm-hmm. uh, in ways that are appropriate and also in sizes that are appropriate. So just to paint a picture about the way it plays out around here a lot of times in, in smaller teams, if somebody is being tempted um, sexually or even, you know, has even dabbled in anything, that would be an appropriate place to... Uh, confess that. If someone's not doing well in their marriage, they would kind of bring that, ask for prayer, those kind of things, rather than waiting till hey, there's divorce papers on the table here. And, you know, the last year we haven't been, you know, sleeping together, or whatever. Um, the culture created is what, why would we not, uh, why would we not let each other in and not surprise each other? And, uh, and, and Todd, you've done a great job. I've, I've got these pictures of you in front of our entire staff with your, your arm around somebody and say, you know what, we're, the job will come later. We'll, we'll talk about that. There, we might have to make some decisions, but what's really important right now, 
uh, said this person is, man, they are, they are repenting of their sin. They are living in the light. They are free. And that's what's most important. We'll figure out, you know, where they get a paycheck and how we're going to handle that. But that is what's most important. We love this person. We've never shamed anyone, ran them out. Uh, and I think people have felt really, really cared for, even if they've, you know, broken trust or uh, along the way. So I think I think that third option is really important for those uh, folks listening in. It's not an either or. It's Great I think job. there's a, all along the way. I think sometimes we act like we're not at war. This is a war. If nobody is ever, I don't know. I mean, I, really, if no one's ever nicked up here, it's probably because the enemy's fine with you doing whatever ineffective ministry you're doing, right? And so I would just tell people, listen, one of the ways the enemy takes you out is by you know, uh, seducing your flesh, whatever that looks like in your own life. It might be laziness. It might be, you know, um, it, it might be actively engaging your flesh, whatever it might be. But tell people, I expect you to struggle. And if you, and so where, where are you struggling? Where are you scared? And if a person keeps looking in the eye and go, I'm not scared and I don't struggle, that, that isn't just somebody that concerns me. That's somebody who's living inconsistent with what scripture says is the normal course of things. Yeah. Okay. And so if somebody just looks me in the eye and goes, bro, I don't have an issue in my life, that, that tells me there's probably some issue in their life. At the very least, you ought to know where if you were the enemy, I know where to aim. And, you know, I mean, for me, you guys know it's going to be areas of lust. It's going to be areas of anger. It's going to be areas of uh, just, I don't know, I mean, what, what I would run to, but, you know, just I'd say the boastful pride of life, which is me wanting to be somebody that acts like, uh, you know, I don't have an issue with some part of my life. I, I it, it, The reason I guess I'm so militant about this, guys, is I realize how desperately I need it. Yeah. Okay. That's why I'm leading this way. It's not because I think it's good for the church. I know it's good for me and it's consistent with what God calls me toward. And I've heard you say that, you know, when is someone restored? It's when their repentance is notorious as, as their struggle or their sin. Yeah. And I thought that's a good word. Yeah, it's good. So the reason I think this whole all works here, guys, is because both of you I feel like model that well. And so senior leaders who are listening in and go, I can't get my staff to be honest. I can't get them to open up. I can't get them to uh, confess. A great, great question would be just how am I doing in terms of modeling that? And once the guy at the top uh, does that, then it becomes really easy to go down. Uh, but it's kind of incongruent to demand that of the rest of the staff if you don't uh, model that well. So both you guys do fantastic with that and really, really grateful for your leadership. Um, let's go to the next one here. Uh, JP, celebrate values in terms of kind of leading the staff. What do you mean uh, by that? It's funny because I was thinking about this over the, so been here uh, 11 years. I can, I could think of not, I can't think of even two times Todd's gone through our values, like just listed them out. Um, but I can, every Tuesday we gather as a staff. And so one of our values is we're biblically based and uh, he'll say, Hey guys, you know, what are you learning in the word right now? And just cold call people. And there's just an expectation that someone is sitting there, spent time in God's word that, that morning and that whatever we're teaching, whatever we're sharing with others, whatever counsel we're giving in communities is biblically based. And we begin to see that value. Uh, another one is we're committed to the uncommitted. And so, um, you know, this heart for sharing the gospel, reaching the lost. And so when we gather on Tuesdays, he'll ask the question, hey, who's the last person you shared the gospel with? Who shared the gospel with someone in the past 24 hours? And we celebrate that as a staff. Or Sometimes it's, hey, who do you know that is, uh, you know, sharing the gospel marks them in this season? Let's celebrate them. And sometimes it's on our staff, sometimes it's in the body, but it's really just celebrating those values uh, rather than just kind of listing them out every so often, like, hey, there's something that we aspire to. It's, uh, it's something that we're actually doing. Let's celebrate us actually living out those values. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I, that pleases me to hear you say that. I, I, we, we talk a lot about the difference. I'm sure we've even mentioned it maybe in a previous part of, of the podcast where the difference between aspirational and actual values. Aspirational values are the things you list. Actual values are uh, values that you can tell stories about how they were executed. Okay. And so when all you do is list your values that you aspire to, that's good because you're giving vision, but you know that the values are actually being fleshed out when you have examples of how that happened. And so think about Jesus. I mean, if he is the fullest revelation of God, then uh, he, you need to realize he is the word made flesh. You didn't just have to anymore uh, speculate about what God is like. He said, this is my son, you know, listen to him or watch him. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the father. Here's what I would say. On your values, you ought to be able to ask yourself if people, you know, again, talk about theology and doctrine, but what do you do? That's really, you know, what your doctrine is. I'll say it this way again. I think people say what they think, they do what they believe. And so, You've got to ask yourself, what are people doing? Because those are your actual values. How do you celebrate them then? You celebrate them by sharing stories and making heroes of those who are executing. You teach on values, but then you, I think, um, express your values through doing. It's like a church that all it does is talk about God's word, but everybody knows you don't live it. That is not a healthy church. We got to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. I would say the same thing about church's value statements. Don't tell me what your value statements are. Show me your value statements, right? So to be Jamesy in here, okay, you know, you show me your, your, your values without doing anything, and I'll tell you a church whose values are worthless, you know? Um, so I, I think that's the key here. The, the, um, the list isn't the the thing, but you, it's okay to teach on them. Sure. But then the best way to to uh, in, have them endure and make a big, big difference is when you start to celebrate that which people have done that's consistent. That's yeah, right. the, the easy work is, is getting them listed out. So we all read back in the 90s, Built to Last came out, and everybody had to have a mission statement. Right. Everybody had to have their core values. And so I'm sure there are just thousands of churches out there that have really well-crafted mission statements very pithy core values, but that is, that's the easy part. The hard part is, as you said, living them out and celebrating those. That's the way, what we talk around here, that's the way of heating them up. The, the more you celebrate them, the more you point and go, this is what we mean by full devotion. This is what we mean when we talk about that we're passionate about prayer. That just heats that up as, as an organization, and, and we just start to go, that that's what we're running after. Yeah, it's good. I don't know if you caught, people might not have caught what JP was saying, but so there's times where you know someone who are, is running the meeting, or uh, you know, or Todd, um, one of the elders, will say, "This is this is what we're talking about," uh, and I I love it when we open it up and say, "Hey, who has done this well?" And so the staff then is reinforcing that they're calling that out. This is this is what we're uh, trying to achieve, and that just seems really really powerful. Like that that's when you know they own it when they can point it out, they can celebrate it. Uh, they can encourage each other. Uh, it's, those are some really, really beautiful moments. Well, let me even go back to the, the previous one, okay? Because we have a value here, authenticity, that I think we're going to focus on completely. But how, one of the ways that you make a culture safe to deal with sin in your ranks is you talk about how this is the majesty and perfection of God, is that when you do what he says, you become a leader, even if what you're doing is confessing that what I did is not what God wanted me to do, okay? So even in somebody's failure, you can hold them up as an example and just say, look, man, what the person did is problematic and damaging themselves and the cause. What they're doing is worthy of praise and 
and follow. And the truth is some of you guys in this room are a lot worse off than this guy because you haven't been quote unquote exposed yet. Whereas this guy had the wisdom and the freedom to come say, this is what just happened to me. And so you make a hero out of that one value, even while you're talking about something that the person did, which was violent to the wealth of their, the, the health of their soul. So celebrate confession, celebrate story, celebrate confession, celebrate the right thing. It's good. You know what? One other thing I'm just thinking about some of our meetings and how those play out in, I don't know if this is intentional, but there seems to be an inverse correlation between the celebration uh, of someone and their um, their rank or status or role. And by that, I mean, you know, it's the guy who is the changes the light bulbs, is the facilities guys, make sure all the doors are unlocked. And when he hits one of our values, uh, I feel like you, Todd, JP, our whole staff, we like that. Those are the those are the moments when we applaud, and uh, and I think a lot of times we end up giving all the attaboys and uh, the shout outs to those you know who are more senior. And I feel like there's an inverse correlation here, and it's played really well. And it's one of the things I love about um, watching you guys kind of you know drive home and celebrate these values is uh, not just that you do, but who especially you do that with. Yeah. So if you're a leader driving around listening to this, you think about the core values that you have written down. The best question to ask yourself is, okay, how how can I as a leader celebrate those? How can we hold up the stories of people who are living these values out and making sure that they're actual, not just aspirational? I'd go through them one at a time. And if you don't have a story from the last week, I'm talking days that go with every one of those values, then you've got work to do. And uh, I would here's the work. Here's the very first thing I do. I would go personally engage in that value and tell that story. Okay, and so if you don't have a story to tell from your own life on every value, then why are you surprised that nobody else does? So every week I've got to ask myself, could I, if no one else wanted to share, do I have stories about sharing my faith? Do I have stories about God's word instructing me? Do I have a story about being authentic? Okay, and so if nothing else, here can be where they model the value of authenticity. Acknowledge that you don't embody any of the values in the church. Okay, <laughs> and, and that's the problem. Okay, and so start with modeling authenticity and say we got to change it. Okay, so deal with sin in the ranks and celebrate values. John, you had a great story that happened at, at the close of our church leaders conference that we had a couple months back, where one of our guys on staff that works on our facilities team, one of our leaders over there, really did something that highlighted that core value of focused on ministry and service. Why don't you wrap up with that story? Yeah, you know, it was, it was such an amazing event. And we had these guys who communicated, you know, off the charts, people who had planned incredible things, So you know, start to finish. It was just a really, uh, really fun event. And yet for me, as, as we were just kind of doing a, a debrief with our staff and celebrating, one of the heroes uh, of that time was one of the guys in our facilities team named Chance Fletcher. And um, I, when I walked in one morning, we had recently kind of, you know, um, put down a new blacktop and there was, uh, between the blacktop and the concrete, there was, uh, you know, I saw these rocks and different things and it, uh, I don't know that anybody really would have noticed, but I, I looked out, you know, uh, about one o'clock and I saw Chance out there with a broom and he was cleaning up all these rocks or it was, it was before lunch is when it was, uh, and he's cleaning up all these rocks because our guests were going to come out there. And I don't think anybody would have known, you know, Adam, but Chance was going, hey, if we're going to do this, I mean, let's, let's do it with everything we have. And I'm not above sweeping rocks and I want to be excellent. And, and so we celebrated appropriately a lot of folks that did some of the more visible things. But, uh, you know, I told that story and the staff just erupted, Chance Fletcher, he is our, he is our hero. And, um, 
And it said that all of our parts, all the ways we contribute are valuable, not just if you're the senior uh, leader there. And so uh, celebrating values is incredibly important and celebrating all the way up and down uh, the org chart, I think is really important. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Well, guys, in the next episode, we're going to wrap up this conversation with the last three ideas to help you lead your staff. Until then, if you have any questions or comments on today's episode, feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.